Let's take a moment and pray. Because hopefully we're about to do something uh, too big for us to do it without help. Let's pray. Uh, God of the universe, we give thanks to you as the maker of every hour of life. And now we give you the next half hour so that you could reshape the deepest parts of who we are. Not through the sound of human words or through the power of my voice, but somehow you have promised to bless the truth that you have spoken through your word in such a way that it could penetrate deeply and transform us. And so we, we ask for the courage to listen as those who expect that we need part of ourself to be turned completely upside down because we have gotten it wrong and we need your help. Speak to us with all the mercy of your son Jesus and all the closeness of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Wondering if you have ever known someone like this, the kind of person that you could say, if, if I could just be with you, if I could just be near you, then, then that restless part of my heart could actually have peace. If, if I could just know that you are with me, if I could just know that you are for me, then I could face nearly anything. You ever known anyone like that? Someone that you could honestly say, if, if I could just see on your face that you delight in me the way that I delight in you, then I think I could make sense of the whole world. Um, now, often in our culture, our minds go immediately to some sort of romantic relationship. We think of a relationship with a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. But there are all kinds of people who could fit into a category like that, like just longing to see that look on the face of a parent or a child or a sibling, a friend, a mentor. I still remember very vividly something that happened when I was a student at Clemson. Um, back when I was young and a little more naive and thought that neckties were cool. Um, I had been part of the university chorus, and, and being part of the chorus, you were given this really amazing-looking bright orange sport coat to wear, and then a tie with little tiger paws all over it, right? And you go stand on the 50-yard line before a football game, and you sing the national anthem, and you sing the alma mater, and uh, help, help the day get kicked off right. And um, this particular year, I wasn't in the chorus, but they needed, our, our leader, 
Dr. Dan Rash, needed more voices. And so he made a deal with me. He's like, hey, you don't have to come to rehearsals, uh, but could you just come and, and help us sing those few times a year for those home games? You know, show up early and, and come down on the field and do that bit. And um, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll be there. You need help, I'll, I'll sign up. Uh, so he was like, well, here's the jacket and here's the tie and just keep them uh, for the whole year and uh, bring them with you on those days. Well, homecoming game comes around and she said, yes, not Trisha, but, but I asked a girl if she would go with me to this game, you know, kind of a date. My commitment to Dan Rash and the university singers just went out the window, right? This girl said yes, and it's like, I didn't sign up for no singing. But to look sharp on a homecoming, as one needs to do, one puts on the tie and the snazzy coat, right? And I'm standing there in the student section watching all these peers of mine go down on the field, the 50-yard line, to get ready to sing the national anthem, wearing their matching coats and matching ties. I'm standing up here in the student section alongside uh, my date, and Dr. Rash looks into the crowd, and his eyes meet mine. And I still remember the look on his face. Do you have a memory like that? You would love to see in that person's face delight. And what you see instead is disappointment and distance. Psalm 42 is about that. Psalm 42 is about longing to see the light from this one face that could give your soul rest and peace and instead sensing absence, distance. That deep longing unmet and a promise beneath it all that there is a way for that longing to be met and there is a way for the light of that face to shine on you and me. Caleb's going to come read for us from Psalm 42. We have a part to play in this reading. Okay, this psalm was written to be sung in worship by the community of God's people. So Caleb's going to read his sections, and then there's a refrain, and we're going to read that. So pay attention. And be ready. You all have your coat and tie issued to play your part in uh, making things go right on our special day. Caleb? This morning's scripture reading is a responsive reading of Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? 
And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. One possible objection that somebody could raise against the Christian faith is that it doesn't give honest answers to honest questions. So, for example, when we go through a worship service like this and we read a psalm like that, it can sound like we're saying in a very naive or simplistic way that if you knew the right things about God, you would be happy all the time. Right? If, if you somehow could metaphorically drink this living water, then somehow magically you would be satisfied. And to many people, that just doesn't sound like an honest thing to say. That's why we want to unpack this sense of Christianity isn't promising that there is some magical set of words that if you could hear them or embrace them, everything would suddenly become all right. But but we do want to deal with this deeper question of (laughs) is is there a way for the restlessness of my soul to, to bask in the light of someone's face that gives me the rest I am longing for? That is an honest question, and it deserves an honest answer. And this psalm gives us honest answers to that kind of question. Here's the first answer it gives. Um, now, when we identify an answer, we gotta, there's got to be a question to go with it, right? But here's the answer. Our souls are thirsty. That's going to lead to two questions. The first question is this. Is there more to me than my biology? Do I even have a soul? Am I just a pile of atoms? Am I just a combination of chemicals thrown together by time and chance here to reproduce and then go away and be gone forever? Is there more to me than my biology? Is there more to me than my thoughts? 
Do I have a soul or am I just a brain, a mind? Um, is there more to me than my actions? So we're kind of dealing with some worldviews here, materialist worldview. There's nothing more to you than your biology. Um, the rationalist worldview. There's nothing more to you than ideas, thoughts. You are reducible to mind. You could get rid of the rest of you, and it wouldn't matter. Um, or a, kind of an American Western pragmatism. It's all about what we do, right? Well, one of the things we're trying to do over the next uh, several weeks is, is to say, hey, those are not right ways to account for humanity. If you want to account for what it means to be human, you've got to account for an entire person. There are some accounts of humanity that say we're just a brain. We're just about ideas and knowing. And then there are accounts that say, nope, let's take a pragmatic approach. It's all about what we do, hands and feet, right? All head, nope, nope, all head won't work. We're all hands. Nope, that's not it. We're all heart. We're trying to capture this sense that human beings are made to be whole people. And you've got to account for the entire self. And yourself involves a body and a soul knit together. And if we haven't accounted for what it means to be physical, we're not accounting for what it means to be human. And if we have only accounted for what it means to be physical and biological, we still haven't fully accounted for what it means to be human because we are body and soul. And that soul is not just reducible to a brain, a mind, ideas. And it's not just reducible to will, the things that we decide to do that we also have a heart. Deep longings and desires. And we function as integrated wholes. And you come across a psalm like this, and it used the word soul six times to say, I'm more than just my body. But notice the way that it treats us as integrated wholes. Verse 3 talks about Weeping, tears that are my food day and night. Well, what does the crying? Where do the tears come from? They're physical. They come from your body. But why do you cry? Because you're more than just a body. You're a body and a soul. And the tears are the overflow of a broken heart, a deep longing and desire unmet, disappointed, Continues through the whole psalm, right? That's the sad end of the spectrum. And then you go to this verse 4 that talks about glad shouts and songs of praise. What do you shout with? Your body. Lips and lungs and throat and, and vibrations of muscles making noise come out that can be heard through ears. It's this physical reality. And yet they are shouts of gladness and joy. You can't account for humanity if you don't account for the physical part of singing and shouting. But there are deep longings and desires that we have. And when those are being met, we just overflow with gladness. Right? Because there's this part of us. We've been calling it the heart. Older generations call it the affections. It's, it's not just the emotions, but these deep longings we have. We see that pattern continues through the whole psalm, right? Verse 10 says, I can feel taunting and mockery like a deadly wound in my 
bones. Why use such a physical image to capture broken heart? It's because we're whole people. And we have longings to be set free from all of the wounds and the sadness that we carry, body and soul. Our souls are thirsty. And so we write poems like Psalm 42. Poems in which we use physical imagery like thirst to capture deep longings of the heart. Our souls are thirsty. Um, All right. What are they thirsty for? They're thirsty for God. Is there anything that can satisfy the whole me? If I'm not reducible down to biology, I'm more than just my body. I'm more than matter plus chance plus time. Is there something that can satisfy that part of me? Is there something that can satisfy the fact that I'm, I, have, I have this soul that was made for these deep longings so that to see disappointment on the face of someone I'm not really that close to over 30 years ago, still the memory lingers. What's that all about? It's all about the fact that every person was made to see the light of someone's face. A face so radiant, so glorious, so good that for its light to shine on us would give us peace, lasting peace. I may even begin to change us into the kind of people who don't, you know, glibly make commitments and then break them. <laughs> As college juniors often do. Um, is there somebody like that in this world? Yeah, there is. There is something in this universe that can satisfy the whole you. This deep thirst can be quenched. Look at the metaphor that this psalmist used. A deer panting for flowing streams. That's how my soul pants for you, O God. Now, Christianity would not sound very honest if we took this as kind of a Hallmark card moment. You know, this sort of peaceful woodland scenario with this deer strolling through saying, oh, look, a beautiful woodland stream. I believe I will have a sip. Aren't things peaceful and calm? Because you know, once you know God, that's how life always is. And then the deer peacefully strolls away. No, we got we to gotta go back to Israel for a moment, and we got to think about desert deer. Deer who live in places where the streams aren't always flowing. Why is he panting <laughs> for a flowing stream? Because most streams in that landscape are called wadis. 
and a wadi is empty most of the year. There is no water there. And for a few months of the year, there will be water. Because a storm comes unexpectedly and, and rain flows and, and the, the ground is too hard to absorb it. And, and it flows down into the stream. And if you can time it just right, you could show up by that stream and find life. But our deer has walked across the desert longing for that stream and is coming up empty. God, that's how my soul is. I'm longing. I haven't yet found the face that would erase from my memory all the disappointment I've seen on all the other faces. I haven't yet found the face whose light could shine on me and make my soul rest. When can I see my God again? My soul is thirsting for that kind of being. That's how human beings are. That's what we're looking for. I read an article um, last week about a young woman who breathed a sigh of relief. She reported this about herself when she found that the person she was dating didn't want to get married. And her comment was, I was a bit relieved because I can't be their everything all the time. True. <laughs> Absolutely true. No human being can be someone else's everything all the time. In fact, that's means real misunderstanding of marriage. A um, friend of our congregation, Dr. John Cox, says he thinks that's the greatest threat to marriage in our day is that there's so many people who have this sense that you're supposed to complete me and if I can find you, then I will be whole because you can be my everything all the time and I won't need any other relationships with any other friends. I won't need to belong to a church community. I won't, I, it'll just be us and you'll fill the hole up and if you don't fill the hole up, well, let's end the marriage and I'll go look for the, because obviously I didn't find the right person. So let me go find the right person. No, we started with the wrong model of what marriage is. But that young woman was exactly right about the human heart. Marriage isn't meant to be like that. Human relationships can't be that. But every heart is longing for that. And there is someone in this universe who can meet that longing who can be our everything all the time. Someone whose presence can satisfy us so much that we could rest and our thirsty souls can begin to be satisfied and one day be satisfied completely forever. Someone whose face is that radiant and the psalmist knows it. It's God I'm thirsting for. It's the living God I'm thirsty for. There is hope that this desert deer won't thirst to death. Because there is a living, real, personal being in this universe who has said, I want to be your everything all the time. Next, next answer. Our souls are thirsty for the God of steadfast love. What, what question leads to that answer? 
if our souls are thirsty and they're thirsty for God, how can we know this God? How can we know that he's not just an empty game that we play to make ourselves feel better? How can we know that this God isn't a cruel joke that someone's playing on us? And the answer is found in verse 8 of this psalm. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. God looks deep inside himself, and what does he find there? He finds steadfast love. And he commands his own love. He speaks to his own soul, so to speak. And he says, the Hebrew word is chesed. Translated steadfast love. Never ending, unfailingly faithful, relentlessly loyal, kindness, mercy, and love. You can't pack all of that into one or two English words. And so every translation tries Steadfast love, you'll get some translations. It's covenant loyalty, covenant faithfulness, faithful love. Pack it all in there. It's, it's infinite, eternal. It won't fail. It's always faithful. It's relentless. It's kind. It's merciful. It's loving. And God looks to that part of himself, and he gives a command. He says, hey, you, love, pursue him. Go after her. That's what the text says, right? The Lord commands his steadfast love. Like he's looking at his own heart and he's saying, heart, go find them. Run after them. She's in the desert about to die. Go get her. He thinks my face is full of disappointment when I see him. Love, go find him. And tell him it's not true. The Lord commands his own infinite love and says, I want you to know me. And I'm coming after you. I'm going to come to where you are. I'm going to come pant alongside you. I'm going to come cry. And and my, my food day and night will be tears just like yours. I will come to you where you are. The psalm writer says, my tears have been my food day and night, and the Lord heard it. And he said, during the day, he commands his steadfast love to find us, pursue us, not let go of us. And at night, his song is with us. Can we know an end to the thirst of our souls, can, can we see the face whose light would erase all the disappointment and heartbreak we have seen on other faces because we put it there? And the answer is yes, because he is a God of steadfast love. We were designed to delight in God. Sometimes that delight is distant and so he commands his love to come and find us. We can know him because of his steadfast love. And how does it get expressed? It gets expressed through acts of salvation. 
That phrase occurs twice in this psalm. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. The word for salvation here is in the plural. Acts of salvation. The Hebrew word for it is yeshuot. And that might sound a little familiar. The acts of God's salvation, His yeshuot. The word for salvation is Yeshua. And when a little boy is born in Bethlehem, what will we name him? He is the steadfast covenant love, unfailingly faithful, relentlessly loyal, kindness, mercy, and love of God come to earth. The Son of God born in human flesh. What Name will we give him? Yeshua, the greatest of his Yeshuot, the greatest of his acts of salvation is his son. And so when you and I are in the desert and we are panting and we are dying and we are thinking this is all a cruel game. And there is no face whose light could erase the darkness. We remember that God commanded his son, my son, go and remove all the distance that separates us from them. Yes, Father, I will. My son, go remove every cloud that hides the light of my face from them. Go and become the living water that satisfies this thirst. Thankfully, there are good memories that last a long time as well as bad ones. Um, There are two moments of someone's face turning to me that stand out in my memory. I told you the first one, Dr. Rash's face. Now, we had a chance to follow up later, and I asked his forgiveness, and it doesn't erase the memory. But there's another face that comes back when I think, When we lived in Scotland, Tricia and Sarah Elizabeth uh, took a long trip to visit the U.S. Five weeks. I I don't recommend being away from your spouse and baby daughter for five weeks if you can help it. But sometimes we can't. And they came back, and Sarah Elizabeth was asleep after this long plane flight. And Trisha brings her up and we carry her and lay her in her crib. And remember her face. She woke up just enough, her eyes peep open, to see Daddy looking down at her. And she's got her pacifier in. And she grins this big grin. You know, the one that almost makes the passy come out, but not quite. And then she closes her eyes and goes back to sleep. That's what our souls were made for. That we would look at the face of our Father, the God who made us and sent His Son to pursue us in steadfast love. And we would see His face and respond with joy and peace 
and rest. Because we see in his face absolute delight that there is no distance anymore between him and the child he loves. That there is no darkness separating him from the son, the daughter, and whom he absolutely delights. Our souls were made for that. If you have found God to be that for you, don't forget. Don't forget. And if you've been forgetting, then today, (laughs) delight again. And remember again that when delight seems distant from your soul, he is just as concerned about it as you are. And so he speaks to his own heart and he says, My steadfast love, my salvation, my Yeshua, my Jesus, my son, pursue him, go after her. And stay with them forever. I think we should say thank you. Our God, we thank you for reality. That we don't play games with you. So your Bible doesn't play the game of pretending. That if we could just know a few facts about you, we would have peace forever. Your scriptures are honest that sometimes we are panting and dying because you feel so distant. Thank you for the promises of your word that in those moments you command your steadfast love to pursue us and to stay with us. And if we doubt that you have loved us, we have the testimony of your son's birth life, death, and resurrection. To be real proof that you deeply love him and through him, us. Amen.